0: Well, hey, Grace Church, it's great to be with you today. We're so glad you can join, even though we're kind of still spread out. We still are together because the Holy Spirit calls the church together, and we're thankful for that. In the spring of 1857, things were really booming in New York City. The economy was roaring to the point that many families who had been living inside the city had enough money and wealth to move outside of the city. And as a result, many of the churches were left In the city nearly empty and the new people that were moving into the city that uh, had replaced those who left seemed to have very little interest in church and as a result a lot of churches just either closed or moved but old Dutch North Church decided to stay they were desperate yes but they had a plan they were gonna reach out to new people and invite them to church And to do it, they hired this guy named Jeremiah Lanfear to go door to door and to meet people and to invite them to church. Now, Jeremiah was a successful businessman, but he had absolutely no, you know, formal ministry training or anything like that. He just had a really big heart for Jesus and he had a big heart for reaching the lost. And so for months, this guy went door to door at at homes and businesses, little shops, everywhere he could. And he would invite people and he would share the gospel. And no one came to church. In fact, during that time, the church continued to lose even more people as more people moved and left. And so Jeremiah was ready to just kind of throw in the towel on the whole thing. But, But one day after another unsuccessful day on a walk back from church, he thought, well, what if we just had a weekly prayer time during the lunch hour? Because at that time, businesses actually had a lunch hour. It was typically from noon to one and everything would just close and people would go eat lunch. And so Jeremiah wondered, well, I wonder if people might want to use some of that time to get together and pray together. So he, he printed up flyers and he handed them out and he went around and, and, and the gathering spot was this upper room in the church And he was there on the first day waiting with great anticipation. And no one showed up. And so he waited and he waited and he waited and nobody showed up. And and finally, he just dropped to his knees and started praying. And then he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. and, And all of a sudden, about 1230, he heard the creaking of footsteps coming up the stairs. And one man showed up. To pray and as the two of them prayed together another man showed up and then another and then another and then another. by the time it was done they had six people praying together that day and they agreed hey let's do this again we'll meet again the following week well the next week 20 people showed up and then 40 and then over 60 to the point where they had outgrown the little upper room in the church and they they had to find a new place to meet. And and the group just kept kind of steadily growing week after week. But then on October 14th, 1857, the stock market crashed and it sent the entire country actually into a huge recession. The world had overnight suddenly become uncertain and unstable and people were, were desperate And they were afraid and they were gripped by this fear and just didn't know what to do. And so it it was in the midst of this uncertainty that that even more people, even more people started to show up to the prayer meetings. In fact, they decided, well, let's make it an everyday thing. So they started having it every day instead of just once a week. And then pretty soon there were over 3,000 people coming to these prayer meetings each day. They eventually took over the entire building that they had to move to because after they moved out of the upper room. And within six months, 10,000 people a day were coming to pray together during the lunch hour in New York City. Matter of fact, it had gotten so big that it started spilling over into other cities. And then pretty soon it was into other states. And then it became a national thing. And so between 1857 and 1858, it's, it's estimated that roughly 50 Thousand people per week were becoming Christians. And in 1858 alone, it's thought that over a million or close to a million people became Christians, and they joined all different kinds of Christian churches. Now Jeremiah Lanfear never became famous. He was never a big deal. He was never a celebrity pastor. He didn't write any books or anything like that. Matter of fact, most people have never even heard of him. But he just kept faithfully holding prayer meetings for over 30 years straight. So it's estimated that by the time he retired, he had led over 11,000 prayer meetings. There has not been a national revival of Christianity in the United States anyway, anywhere close to that scale ever since. So I personally think we can learn a lot from this story, especially in light of our our current circumstances in the world we find ourselves living in. Because think about it, recession, check. Uncertainty, check. Unrest, check. Rapidly spreading desperation in the form of the coronavirus along with, with daily increasing violence, check and check. Lots of things to me seem eerily similar do they sound similar to you similar enough that we even have the same antidote for the ills of society which is the gospel of jesus christ but but are we even willing to use it anymore or or are we just stuck looking for hope in all the wrong places could the change we need really start with something as as simple and as seemingly unimpressive As praying together? Or is that just crazy talk? Could could prayer be the key to unlocking a movement of God that could even outpace the spread of COVID-19? Something to think about. Well, as we've been talking about these four core components over the last four weeks, the four core components that the early church knew were vital. We've been doing this as we go back to the future to see if we can learn, well, what they believed was, was vital and outlined in Acts 2.42. And so the, fir- the first week we talked about how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then we talked about fellowship. And then last week we talked about communion or the Lord's Supper. And now today, as we bring this series to a close, we're gonna be talking all about prayer. And prayer, I realize, is a really Big topic in and of itself. And so I just I want to look at just a few aspects or dimensions of prayer today as they relate specifically to our lives together as Christians and as Grace Church. We're going to do this by looking at several passages throughout the book of Acts while also keeping in mind the story we just heard about Jeremiah Lanfear. Because I think that this will help us understand some of the prayer fundamentals so that we too can start to really understand and appreciate and embrace how vital prayer is to everything that we are as a people and everything that we are as a church. And so as we, as we get started, let me, let me just pray for us as we begin. Lord, we thank you for gathering your church together. We thank you that you don't leave us to do any of this alone, but, but you have given us the ability to speak directly to you through our Savior Jesus Christ. And so we do that right now. We call upon you, Lord, and we ask that you come and be present right now in the midst of this, that that you might come and change our hearts, that we might go away from this message, changed forever, understanding more about this this lifeline, this communication tool that uh, you have given us, not just for fun, but for building our relationship with you. And so, Lord, we confess that we're not perfect, far from it, but Lord, we know that you are, and we ask that by your perfect presence, you you come and inhabit this time with us, that you pour out your Holy Spirit and fill us up, that we might go and do your will. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first off, when it comes to the idea of prayer, now, most Christians will just kind of readily admit that th- this is something that we should do. We know that we should pray and we know that we should pray often. There's no debate really about that, but there does seem when it actually comes to looking at our prayer lives, especially our prayer lives together, that there's a big discrepancy between knowing what we should be doing and doing it. And we've, we've talked about this before in weeks past especially when it comes to living out our faith. So it's probably not a big surprise to hear that that when we have the the same kind of tendencies, not just in living out our faith, but also when it comes to prayer. Lots and lots of talk and yet not a lot of action. And believe me, I'm talking about myself just as much as, as I'm talking about anybody else here. But if it's true that we know we should pray, And it's also true that we typically don't pray very often or maybe not even at all. Then the question becomes, well, what is holding us back? What is stopping us from praying? And believe me, there are lots of things that we say or at least appear to be holding us back. Maybe we think, well, well, I'm just I'm just too darn busy. Or, or I, you know, I just don't really see the point, honestly. I, I, don't, I don't know what to pray. I feel awkward when I pray. I don't know how to pray. Or, or maybe we're not sure that, that God even really hears our prayers. Or, or can, maybe if he hears our prayers, maybe he really can't do anything about our situation anyway. Or maybe sometimes we just we forget forget to pray. Or maybe we just we set time aside or we go try to be part of prayer and we just kind of end up, snoozing instead we kind of doze off now it's interesting of course that we can make it through hours and hours of netflix no problem but when it comes to prayer that seems to just knock us right out (laughs) at least it does me anyway (laughs) and let's face it in today's world we are especially distracted we are interrupted and we have an often very difficult time focusing But that does not mean that prayer is not absolutely essential. Martin Luther, one of the famous reformers, once said that, as is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. We should be about prayer. So I have to ask the question, how as Grace Church is our collective prayer life. I'm not talking about prayer on an individual or personal level, which of course that is also critical, but I'm talking specifically, how are we doing with prayer as a church? How how are we doing when it comes to us getting together and praying and seeking God together? Not just to try to get God to do things that we want him to do, but for us to be able to discern what God's will is for us as a church during this crazy time that we're living in. I don't know that we can say we do that very much because I would propose to you that a lot of the time, even inside the church, even with the best of intentions, prayer is often an afterthought. It often just gets put out of our mind. It's an afterthought. We make our plans and then we work our plans and then We ask God to come alongside and bless our plans. But that is not the way that the early church did it. And we saw with with, uh, Jeremiah Lanfear that this kind of upside down approach didn't work for him either. It, It wasn't until he gave up his own plans by surrendering them over to God and praying for God's guidance and direction that anything really started to change at all. And the same is true for the early church. They didn't start with their plans and say, this is what we're going to do. They they started with prayer. And this is an identifiable pattern that shows up over and over again, all throughout the book of Acts. You can read it and and find this for yourself. We're going to talk about several of these spots today. But but the essence of what I want us to know is that prayer precedes our plans. Prayer precedes precedes our plans, or at least it should. Seeking God's will should always be our first step, not our last one. But relying on God to truly, truly set the course for us is very countercultural to the world that we live in. Because when you think about it, we spend an awful lot of our time trying to make things happen, to force things happen, and and to make them happen our way, don't we? I mean, it kind of makes me think that Burger King was really onto something with this whole idea of have it your way. Right. It speaks to us because after all, that that's really what we want in our relationship with Jesus, isn't it? Think about it. Even our prayers sometimes sound like we're ordering off the value menu, don't they? Um, uh, Yeah, I'll take a side of healing my knee uh, with uh, also uh, another side of right now, please. And uh, oh, and also, can I get a parking spot at work that's close to the front? And it's not that we shouldn't ask God for things. That's not it at all. He, he wants us to ask him for things, but we should pay attention to what we're asking for and then also to recognize how God is answering our prayers because it's not always like we expect or, or like we want. Matter of fact, it rarely ever is. And that also could be one of the reasons we might be hesitant to pray at all. If we mistake God not giving us what we want for God not answering prayers, well, then we have a big problem. Sometimes we have to wait on God. Sometimes God meets our needs, maybe not the way we want, but the way that we need. And then there are other times that, that things just don't work out at all the way that we had hoped for. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care or that he isn't there. But even when things are hard, it does not mean that we have to go this alone. We've, we've talked about this for several weeks now. That the fellowship of believers is supposed to be such that we come together and we bear one another's burdens. And so prayer is part of what holds the fellowship of believers together in relationship to God, in relationship to to one another. And so when the early church gathered together, they prayed together, and that is what helped them stay together. And to explore this common life of prayer a little more, we're going to walk through, like I said, several little examples of times and places throughout the book of Acts that I think will help us understand a little bit more about the power and the purpose of prayer in terms of this fellowship with one another and with God. And so right away, we see the priority of prayer for the early church demonstrated in Acts chapter one. Don't have to get very far. It's in the first chapter. Now, this is after Jesus' death and his resurrection, and he's just ascended into heaven. But right before he goes, He tells his followers to wait. Wait in Jerusalem until the promised Holy Spirit is given to them. And so they waited. And what did they do while they waited? Well, Acts 1 verse 14 says this. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Constantly in prayer. So they prayed as they waited. Does this sound familiar to Jeremiah Lamphere again? He prayed as he waited. They prayed as they waited. Now, now, how well do we <laughs> typically do at waiting? But here's the hard truth. God answers prayers according to his will and in his perfect timing. It's his will and his timing. A bit later in chapter 1, Peter says hey, it's time for us to replace Judas Iscariot, who was the disciple that had betrayed Jesus and then had later died. And so they had an open slot. And so they just just randomly selected somebody and just picked him and moved on. No, that's not what they did. They they identified two men who had also been with Jesus and with them the entire time through all this. And as it says in uh, verse 24, then... They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. You choose, Lord. They prayed that the Lord would be the one who's doing the choosing so that they themselves would not make the wrong choice. But how many times do we make bad choices because we either get Tired of waiting for God, or or maybe we just forgot to seek him at all. Talk about a masterclass in how to learn things the hard way. I know I speak from experience on that one. But part of praying together is seeking the Lord's will together so that God is the one pointing out our collective direction into his desired future. We want to be on his path we need Him to lead and guide us. We tend to take things over ourselves much too quickly. So, again, prayer precedes our plans. Now, when we look at Acts chapter 6, we see another dimension another aspect of what praying together does in the body of Christ. Chapter six tells us about how Peter and John had been teaching at the temple and they'd been talking all about Jesus and the religious leaders were getting all sorts of upset with all this Jesus talk. And so they were looking for a way to silence Peter and John. They needed to shut them up. And so the religious council called the Sanhedrin, they all got together to talk about this. And as they talked about it, they they couldn't make up their minds on how to go about punishing Peter and John. So they just called him over and said, all right, guys, look, just don't speak of this Jesus guy anymore. And they let him go. But here's where we see prayer in action in, like I said, a different dimension. When Peter and John got back from the Sanhedrin, they reported all that had happened. They told everybody what had been said and what had happened. And then they all prayed about it. They prayed for God to move in mighty ways and to give them the courage that they needed in order to continue to preach about Jesus, even in the face of opposition. Verse 31 says this, Acts chapter six, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So prayer also precedes God's movement. Prayer precedes God's movement. Again, the pattern all throughout Acts is that prayer is what comes first. Prayer comes first. But here's something interesting. I don't don't know if you caught it. In verse 31, it said that, well, we heard this familiar phrase again. We've heard this before that the people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we've heard that before in Acts chapter two, and we might be tempted to wonder, well, I thought that was already done. I thought they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. So what, what is going on here? It doesn't make any sense. Well, the simple truth is that we need God's spirit to be poured out on us and into us over and over Again. It's not just a a one and done thing. It's an ongoing part of our relationship with God. It continues over and over again. And along with the Holy Spirit of God comes the power of God. And it's through, this is important, it's through God's power, not our own power, that gave them and gives us the courage to continue to preach Jesus boldly that power comes from God's Holy Spirit. And this was and still is something that we cannot do ourselves with any kind of effectiveness whatsoever. We might be able to muster up and and maybe even say the right words, but those words will fall on deaf ears without the Spirit of God. It's just the way it is. The Holy Spirit is who actually accomplishes the movement and brings about the kind of change that God really desires. It's not our work. It's God's work. And it's this kind of movement of God, where God continues to give faith and build up courage that is almost always preceded by prayer. Prayer is the first step. Prayer is the very lifeline to God that that activates and mobilizes God's Holy Spirit power. We see this over and over again. And this, this is as true today as it's ever been. Yet, is that, is that what we're asking for? Are, are we praying for God to fill us with his Holy Spirit? Are we earnestly asking God for that? Or, or are we rather just kind of stuck running around in circles, trying to do all the work ourselves and try to do the work that only God can do? Because that, that never works. So prayer proceeds the movement of God. Another great example of this is is found in Acts chapter 12. Here, James and later Peter were both arrested and the guys are in trouble again. Matter of fact, James was actually executed much to the delight of the Jewish religious leaders. So when the king who was Jewish himself, King Herod, saw how much the crowd approved of James' execution, he thought, well, if, if they like that, wait till I execute the leader of this whole thing and put an end to it once and for all. So he made plans to execute Peter. He was going to do it right after Passover. And so he was just going to keep him in prison until that day would arrive. But the people of the church were praying. They were praying and God intervened. God moved. He sent his angel to rescue and release Peter from jail. And and Peter was just, believe me, it it says in the text, that Peter was just as surprised about this as anyone. And so after he left the jail, he, he hurried over to the house where the church often gathered, and he knocked on the door, and the church was there. And they were still praying. They were praying for his release while he was standing outside the door. Matter of fact, they were so engaged in their prayers that they didn't even recognize it was Peter standing at the door. He was out there pounding away, trying to get in. And the people were so earnestly in prayer that they they didn't even understand. So once again, prayer precedes God's movement. The last dimension of prayer I want to look at today has to do with, with how we go about continuing to send one another out into this uncertain and desperate world that is so full of fear. Acts 13 talks about how Paul and Barnabas are called to go out. They're called on on a mission to go and preach the gospel in other areas. And so look at verses two and three here, Acts 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Now, here's the important part. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So they prayed as they sent them off. And and a similar thing happens again in Acts chapter 20 when Paul is telling the the elders at Ephesus that he's leaving and they're likely never going to see him again. Uh, and, And so he has this kind of big goodbye speech that he gives to everybody, encouraging them. And then it says in verse 36... When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. So again, there's this this sending prayer where where people go out into the world, possibly into very dangerous circumstances. There's this this idea that prayer precedes sending. Prayer also precedes sending. Sending. We have to be careful here not to assume that that just sort of means, well, that's just for when we, you know, send people off on on mission trips and things like that. That that's what's going on here. Of course, that is part of it. But but there's much more to it than that. We can and should pray for one another as we send one another out into the world right here in our community, in our neighborhoods, because the world, as you know, is a total mess. We should be praying regularly for one another that that God also would give us, each of us, the courage to be a witness to Jesus and to be able to do so boldly. Our prayers are the same. We need the courage and the boldness that can only come from God's Holy Spirit. And and, and we need to be able to pray for one another as we send each other out, that each of us would be able to share the good news with others that, that Jesus died for us, rose again to forgive us, yes, and also save people, save us from our sins. And it's through him that our relationship, the broken relationship that once was with the Father, has been restored. God has become our father because Jesus has restored that relationship. And, and what is it like for us to have the courage and the boldness to proclaim that? Not to be ashamed of it, but to be able to boldly proclaim that with courage into a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel. Now, when I think of that, I think in particular of our pastor of student Mister ministries, Mr. Bill. He's been looking for people who would be willing to pray for students each day on a rotating basis so that that every student who is currently a part of Grace Church or has been a part of Grace Church, who's still on our list, one way or another, every single student gets prayed for each and every day. And so we all know that this year of all years is going to be a huge challenge, not just logistically but also just with the normal challenges of being a teenager at school. Lots of things will be coming at these students. And and amazingly, Mr. Bill has had a tough time finding volunteers to make sure that each student is covered in prayer each day. I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. And so as we as we end our message today, I, just, I want to give you three different opportunities that I hope you will prayerfully consider as we consider together what it means to come together and pray together and do so collectively as part of who we are as Grace Church. And so the first one is contact Mr. Bill. If, if you can make a commitment to praying for students, then I know Mr. Bill wants to hear from you. You can contact him through the website, just send him a note and say, count me in. Uh, I would love for us to be able to make prayer for students a priority. Let's come together as a church and do this. These young men and women are the future and think about the, the challenges that they will face, these unprecedented challenges and the increasing opposition that they will they will likely experience for their Christian faith that will go on for their, probably for their entire lives. So let's be sure that we are praying for them and, and, and we, we ask God to give them the courage that only can come through him. And the second thing is, is prayer on the patio. You've probably heard about this before, but every other Thursday we are getting together outside of the church right on the patio and we get together and pray. And so far that group has been pretty small. The number of people that have been showing up is pretty small. But just like Jeremiah Lanfear, what starts out as something small with God's help can grow into something that changes the world. It's got to start somewhere. Got to start with prayer. Prayer has the power because God has the power. And so prayer on the patio will happen again this upcoming, this next Thursday at 7 p.m. So would you consider coming and, and praying, praying together? The third thing is to pray for your family and your friends and your co-workers and your neighbors to know and to follow Jesus. And we can do this in, in smaller ways groups of people. Uh, Jeremiah Lanfear's prayer rules were very basic and very simple. So they're not overwhelming or intimidating. They're just come and pray for the souls of the people in your life that you know need to come to know and trust Jesus Christ. And also keep it to less than five minutes. These are easy rules. We can follow these rules. That's it. It can be just that simple. Remember, Jeremiah was not a trained pastor or a minister. That's not what it takes to do this. Anyone can do this. Any Christian can call this together. Jeremiah just had a big heart for Jesus and for the lost. And if you do too, would you be willing to to get together and, and pray together like this in your small group to pray for other people in the church, pray for one another, pray for people outside who don't know Jesus yet? Would you pray for their souls? Maybe you'd even be willing to organize if, if you're small group uh, or you don't even have a small group right now. Maybe you'd be willing to get a group of people together and just pray together and see how God starts moving and doing amazing things. When it comes to our lives as people and as the church, prayer is, is not optional. It's vital. It's essential. The early church knew that. Faithful followers of Jesus have known that all along, all throughout the history of the church. Jeremiah Lanfear knew that. So what if we as a church truly made prayer a priority in everything that we do? Would you be willing to join that? I hope so. Because prayer has the power to change The world. So let's pray now. God, we ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus, our Savior, that you make good on your promises to change the world for your glory. Lord, we know you are drawing people to yourself, not so that we can be quote unquote successful, but so that you may be glorified. So we ask you now, Lord, would you make us as Grace Church an instrument of your grace and your mercy as we reach out to others? May we do that in a way that, that brings honor and glory to you and, and holds your name up as holy. And Lord, as people continue to, to come to know you, would you help us be part of of their spiritual journey, that that they might continue to grow in relationship, that all of us might continue to grow in relationship, not just with you, but also with one another, and then send us out into the world with courage. We're not ashamed of you, but instead we know and believe that you are our only hope. We thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. Through your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.